Welcome. I'm Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, one of the preaching team guys. And um, <clears throat> I just want to start with a shout out to our other two campuses across town. Hello to Edgewood and Bel Air. Y'all say hello to those guys real quick. Um, and I just wanted to add a special word of welcome to maybe the second timers in the room. A lot of times the week after Easter, there's a lot of people who kind of came for the first time on Easter and you're back. And we're just really glad uh, that you're back with us this week. Um, we are in this series called Disillusioned, and we're really excited about it. I want to start with a little illusion for you. I'm, not, I'm no Ben Kacharis, okay, but uh, I got this coin trick, okay? So I got this coin, All right, I got it in my hand here, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to count down from three, and then you're all going to blow on my hand, okay? Ready? Three, two, one, blow. All right, so the coin has disappeared, right? So if you were here, I would pull it, maybe pull it out from behind your ear if there was one of you up here, but what I've done is I've selected one of you, and I've placed that quarter in your purse or in your pocket. <laughs> so if you are the one who received it, I mean, I really think you probably ought to put that in the offering plate. I don't know. <laughs> but um, <laughs> this is a cool series because we're looking at some big issues, right? We're looking at some of these things uh, that bother people. Like, are Christians, you know, these, these things that people say about Christians, are, they're too political. That's next weekend. Truth or illusion. Christians are anti-science, truth or illusion. That's the weekend after that. And then the first weekend in May, we're finishing up with Christians are anti-gay. Is that true or is that an illusion? Hope you'll join us uh, for those weeks that sound most relevant to you for all of them and bring friends who you think want to hear that stuff. Um, today, though, we're talking about Christians are exclusive and judgmental. Is this true or is this an illusion? It's definitely a widely held perception. Many people would say, yes, absolutely, Christians are exclusive and judgmental. Many studies and statistics, Christian and secular research, bears this out as one of the main reasons that people walk away from the Christian faith. Statistics are just piles and piles of true personal stories of real people. We could probably all think of friends and family and coworkers who've had this experience of being judged and excluded by Christians, and, you know, I, I could think of real names. I started thinking of them. I thought of my friend Anna and Andrea and Brian, Brent, Chuck, and I, and I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to go through the whole alphabet, but I probably could. And maybe this has even been your experience. And if so, I'm just really glad that you're here today in spite of that. We cannot deny that in some ways Christians, we Christians have a, a bad reputation. But is that who we are? Is it truth or illusion? And so as we dive into this, we're going to lean heavily into the Gospel of John, who in chapter 1 describes Jesus as being full of grace and truth. Now those two things don't necessarily seem like they should go together. Grace is soft and forgiving. It says, you know, you know do what you want. I, I accept you no matter what, right? And now truth is hard. Truth is sharp and black and white and clear cut. So how can those two things go together? And yet we're told that in Jesus they coexist perfectly. So how is that? Well, later in John chapter 8, we're given this beautiful story that helps understand this. 
After spending a night alone in prayer with the Father, it says, At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people had gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and Jesus said, and, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and doodled in the dirt with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up again and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. It's right there in those two things that Jesus says to this woman. It's right there that we can find the answer to this disillusionment, this, this idea that we are exclusive and judgmental and how Christians ought to respond to that. It's right there in those two things that Jesus says to this woman where we can get a glimpse of grace and truth holding hands. Neither do I condemn you and go and sin no more. This topic uh, made me immediately think of this very profound movie clip from a, a 2007 film called The Simpsons Movie. There, there's a shadow passing over the town of Springfield. They think it might be the end of the world. Uh, check out what happens. funny, right? That's funny, and it's insightful, I think. Christians all run to the bar. The bar people all run into the church. You know, these two groups in this movie kind of represent the two groups I want to address today. Just for simplicity's sake, let's call them the church insiders and the church outsiders. Those, you know, I know it's more complex than that sometimes, and you may not fit nicely into either category, but for our purposes today, let's talk, I'm going to talk first to, to those who claim Jesus as Lord, who would say, I'm, I'm a member, and then to those who, who would say, no, I don't. I, I propose that based on their reactions, neither one of those groups quite has things figured out yet. Both groups, when it comes to life and faith and community, were in some ways doing it wrong. Have you seen these photos on social media where they put the caption, you're doing it wrong? They're pretty funny sometimes. Like, here's one, tackling. You're doing it wrong. You're supposed to tackle a guy on the other team. Um, photography. You're doing it wrong. Uh, in the world of technology, this one, this one, GPS. Uh, they just put a globe on a motorcycle. That's a disaster waiting to happen. Or this one, I don't know why this one makes me laugh so much, but it does. Bluetooth. Transportation. Here, check out two-car garage. You're doing it wrong. And, and my favorite, uh, boating. You're doing it wrong. I just want to humbly suggest today 
that when it comes to how we look at Christianity and the church, there are some ways in which all of us might be doing it wrong. First, I want to speak to the church people, like a little family chat, some straight shooting to those of us who would call ourselves insiders. You know, sometimes we buy into the illusion that says Christians, no, we're never judgmental and exclusive. Or if we take it down to the individual level, like maybe some are, but I am never judgmental and exclusive, not me. And I just got, I want to say that's, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, we are. We've all done it. We're all guilty as charged on that at one time or another. You know, but th- there are some times when we church people can be found doing it wrong, such as we're doing it wrong when we talk more than we listen. Okay? We are known for this, and we need to reverse it. Someone once said, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, and I think if we just simply listened more and talked less, we could do so much to change this perception of being exclusive and judgmental. We are doing it wrong when we judge people by outward appearance. How many times do we have to get this wrong? Do we have to realize that people are so much more than some label? 1 Samuel 16:7 says, People look at the outward appearance, but God, the Lord, looks at the heart. That's what we need to do. We're doing it wrong when we write people off as too far gone. Nobody... And I mean nobody is beyond the power and the reach of our God to save and turn their life around. Isaiah 59.1 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save you or me or anyone. And this church is just full, probably the row you're sitting on is full of people who could attest to that. Miracles of of death turned to life. Easter happens year-round in this community. Nobody's too far gone. And uh, we're doing it wrong sometimes when we rank sins. We like to feel superior, right? We like to look down our noses at the sins of other people and kind of uh, become really, really comfortable with our own pet sins. But Jesus says this is ridiculous. He, he mocked it one time. He told a story. He said, you know, you go around trying to clear out a speck out of someone else's eye when you have an eight foot two by four sticking out of your own eye. And he said, maybe you ought to try to get that thing out of your eye first so that you will maybe be able to help some other people with their sin problems. The Apostle Paul called himself the chief of all sinners, and if he could say that, maybe we ought to begin to see ourselves the same way. We're doing it wrong when we put religion over relationships. If any of us here are still thinking that this whole Jesus thing is primarily about religion or ritual instead of relationships, we are doing it wrong. We're putting the cart before the horse, or the car before the boat, as it were. The legalistic Pharisees of Jesus' day were always busting his chops about rules, 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 and he said, look, the rules were made for us, not us for the rules. The point of it all is for us to grow in our relationship with God and our worship of God. And those of us on the inside must be careful not to drift toward becoming like these uptight religious professionals for whom Jesus saved his harshest criticisms. We're doing it wrong when we lead with truth instead of grace. You know, grace says, I don't forgive, I don't condemn you, I forgive you. Truth says sin is not good. It's serious business. Let's not pretend that what you did was okay. And Jesus, those are both true, and Jesus was full of both, but, but the sequence matters. Grace comes first. Truth follows. Grace bats lead off. Truth bats clean up. Okay? Grace is the alley. Truth is the oop. The fact that we so often get this backwards 
is maybe the main reason that in spite of our good intentions, we have earned this reputation as exclusive and judgmental. Leading with the truth, just coming out and pointing out a bunch of sins and telling people to stop, it doesn't work. When you do that, people react, and rightly so, like, you know, excuse me, like, who are you? Who do you think you are? What, what right do you have? And they are gone. And we never get the chance to get around to the grace part. Okay, we try, we're like, oh, wait, I was also going to tell you about how you can be forgiven of those sins. It's too late. But when we lead with grace, when we build trust and friendship and relationship and we serve people with no strings attached, we earn credibility to tell them our story someday at the right moment, maybe at their invitation, to tell them about God's love. If we lead with grace, opportunities to tell truth always come. But if we lead with truth, truth if we speak truth without grace, we're actually not even telling them the truth. We're just being exclusive and judgmental. We do it wrong when we are so easily shocked and offended. I've been reading this book by a pastor I really appreciate named John Burke. Uh, it's called Unshockable Love, How Jesus Changes the World Through Imperfect People. And I love that word unshockable as a descriptor of Jesus. Read the Gospels. Jesus was always encountering some crazy stuff, scandalous, outrageous, messy people and situations, and yet we never see him rattled by it. He's calm. He's he sees through to the real issue. He knows who is the real enemy. He's filled with God's spirit and he handles each situation with, with a peace and a wisdom that we long for. I know some Christians who love to go around talking about how the, the world's going straight to hell and everything's just getting worse and worse and worse. And some Christians are just so easily surprised and so personally offended at the bad decisions and sins of others. But, you know, like where I'm from down south, they say things like, well, I never, you know. Or the other day I was reminded of this more subtle version, you know, like, did you hear about what so-and-so did? I'm just so embarrassed for them. I mean, what is that? I don't think Jesus was interested in being embarrassed for anyone. If Christ lives in us, if he guides us and strengthens us, then we, like him, can be unshockable, even in a culture that is all about shock value. You know, we're doing it wrong, and this is a big one, when we hold people to a standard they never signed up for. My friend Dave plays rugby. He is huge and strong and has a lot of experience playing rugby. I've never played rugby. If Dave invited me to play rugby with him, and I was dumb enough to risk my life <laughs> and go with him, and then when I got there, all he did was just criticize me and mock me and talk about how I was, you know, get frustrated with my poor play and send me off to the sideline and ignore me, and that would be a really cruel thing for him to do, right? Or even worse, imagine if he came to watch me play basketball sometime, but in, somehow in his mind he assumed I was trying to play rugby, okay? And he sat there and criticized my rugby playing while I'm trying to play basketball. That would make him either stupid or crazy or both, right? And yet sometimes Christians are guilty of doing this very same thing. We invite people to walk the way of Jesus, but instead of gently teaching them the steps, we just throw them in, expect them to be experts right away, and then we criticize and exclude them, and then we sit around and scratch our heads as to why they've become disillusioned and why they won't come to church with us. Or, or even worse, we see them doing their thing, living their way, how they've been taught, just trying to get through life and numb the pain and have some fun or whatever, and then we judge them based, based on some standard they've not 
shown any interest in or maybe never even heard about. It's no wonder that sometimes people think we're stupid or crazy or both. As I heard Andy Stanley say one time, the church must stop expecting outsiders to act like insiders while insiders act like outsiders. We talk about being in the world but not of the world, like Jesus, but then many of us go and do the exact opposite. We're of the world, but we're not in it. You know, we live in our Christian bubble. We got our Christian everything. Christian music, I got my Christian water here, my Christian toothpaste, my Christian underwear. We only ever hang out with other Christians. Then we get together and act like everybody else. I think if there was a picture in the dictionary next to exclusive and judgmental, it would be a bunch of Christians, only Christians, in a room, Watching The Bachelor, gossiping, criticizing, judging all those trashy people on the TV, right? And then going around all week saying, talking to other Christians about how they watch The Bachelor as, a, as an outreach to their poor, lost, non-Christian friends. That's doing it wrong. We're doing it wrong when we stay in our comfort zones. You know, Jesus didn't come to make us comfortable. He came to make us brave. And if any of us in Christ have stopped growing and being stretched in our faith... We're doing it wrong. We, you know, serving others is a great way to snap out of this. Mission trips, they widen your world. They, they help you count your blessings and just kind of get over yourself. Last week, some of us from Mountain were in Mexico building some houses, swinging hammers, sleeping on the floor. And I got to tell you, God did some really good work on my heart and reminded me of some important things that I tend to forget. Small groups are great for this. You know, many of you still need to step up to doing life together at beyond a surface level with some other believers. And, you know, as for me, as an introvert, this is a discipline for me. Every Thursday, I'm tired. And I'm like, oh, man, is that group of weirdos coming over to my house again this week? Really? It's not comfortable for me to be vulnerable and to commit to carrying some other people's burdens. But you know what? It is important and it's worth it. It keeps me growing, and every week when it's over, I'm like, thank you, God, for those weirdos, and thank you, God, that they love and accept me in all of my weirdness. I need that. We need to practice what our brother David Anderson calls gracism. Think, I want you to think right now about the people who most get under your skin, the people who offend you most easily. Maybe it's gay people, maybe it's disrespectful teenagers, maybe it's crotchety senior citizens, maybe it's... Rowdy rednecks or fancy pants yuppies or maybe, maybe this group for you is Christians, those Christians. Which group bugs you most? You got them in your head? All right, now here's your assignment. Hang out with them. Serve them. Listen to them. Get to know them. Move toward them in love. Be a gracist and get out of your comfort zone. All right, now I want to turn and speak for a couple minutes uh, to the, the other group, those who would consider yourselves outsiders, not members of the church, who would say, maybe if being honest, yeah, I, I still think Christians are exclusive and judgmental. First of all, what I want to say is, I'm glad you're here, if you're here. And actually, I realize most of you are not here. But if you happen to be here or listening to this or watching this later online or something, I just want to say I'm so glad and thank you. Thank you for being willing to give us a hearing and to consider what we have to say. Thank you, and I hope that we can find ways to continue the conversation. We want to hear and learn from you, and we love you. Second thing I want to say is just to ask for your forgiveness for all the times that you have been excluded and judged by people supposedly representing Christ. I apologize. That was wrong. 
to the people I have excluded and judged throughout my life. I apologize and I ask your forgiveness and I'm thankful for God's forgiveness. I like to think that as over the years, as I've been getting less and less exclusive and judgmental, as Christ grows in me and I grow in him, I'm glad I'm no longer the same guy I was in high school or even when I became a pastor. And thirdly, just in the spirit of not being judgmental and not holding you to a standard you've not signed up for, I'm going to stop short of suggesting some ways that I think you guys are doing it wrong, but I hope you be humble enough to be open to the possibility that maybe there are some of those. Instead, I'm going to say this. I hope you'll consider some ways in which maybe you have believed some things about Christ, about Christians, and about the church that are actually illusions. For example, the illusion that all Christians are exclusive and judgmental, or that this is actually what the church teaches, is that we should be exclusive and judgmental. That is just not true. And if you've been hurt or judged or excluded by some Christian, I want you to know we're not all like that. And that person that hurt you on their better days is probably not even like that. We all fail and fall short. But millions of Christ followers every day are striving to live like Christ and to be conduits of his love. And if you, get caught, if you got caught up in some of our failings, we are sorry. But please, please, please don't let that blind you to who Jesus is and to all the good things that are being done in his name. Maybe you believe the illusion that Christians are closed-minded and non-Christians are open-minded. This is a popular one these days. Sometimes, though, it is my non-Christian friends that get a little stuck in their comfort zones. Sometimes there are opportunities to have open and honest conversations, and I find that it is my supposedly open-minded non-Christian friends who are the closed-off ones. Sometimes y'all just change the subject or rehash the same old offenses or just talk about what has happened to others when you haven't really explored it yourselves. Sometimes I can even tell that you don't really believe what you're saying, but it has sort of just become the party line for you. Sometimes I see that you are actually intrigued by the things of God, but you just have determined that it's going to be too much work to explore that. It's just laziness. And if that is you, I want to challenge you once again to become a truth seeker, to do the work, to investigate. I believe that if you earnestly seek truth, you will end up having to deal with Jesus at some point. Just as it's possible to get comfortable and complacent within the church, it is also possible to get comfortable and complacent outside the church. And perhaps it is time that you gave Jesus and his church a fresh look. Maybe you believe the illusion that thinking you're being judged by a Christian, when you're, what's actually happening is when you're being convicted by the Holy Spirit. Let me explain. I got this other friend named Luke. Many of you know him. Okay, Skinny guy from up north, good preacher. Okay, He works out and exercises far more often than I do right now. He eats better or at least eats a lot less than I do. And sometimes when I'm hanging out with Luke, it makes me realize how out of shape I am. I feel convicted about this, even guilty or ashamed sometimes. I remember back to when I was in good shape. And now Luke has never once said a word to me about that. He's never been negative or judged me or belittled me. But his life and his example, they convict me. This same thing happens in the spiritual realm. No Christian is perfect. But we are people who are trying to live our lives for and with Christ. And it's really unfair of you to accuse the Christians you know of being judgmental 
when what's actually happening in a given situation is some part of their lives is just reflecting God's light into some dark part of your life. It is the Holy Spirit, not any human being, who convicts us of our sins. So don't fall into the trap of doing the exact same thing you're complaining about, judging falsely, excluding unnecessarily other people just because they're trying to live their lives in a way that pleases God. I often see this with people feeling guilty about their excessive drinking or their sexual promiscuity or whatever. They, they avoid their Christian friends and say, I just, when I'm around them, I just feel like they're always judging me. When they aren't doing that at all, God is convicting them. And that's what they're feeling. Someone choosing not to participate in sinful behaviors with you is not the same thing as them judging you. Someone's life can be a judgment on your life without them judging you or being judgmental toward you. So I just want to say, make sure you're clear on that difference. Maybe you believe this illusion that you, you need to keep your defenses up. And I get it. That's what we do when we've been hurt. But please don't let your heart become hardened against all Christians. And don't go on the offensive. Some of y'all just love to purposefully, I have some friends outside the church, they love to purposefully shock and offend Christians. Some of you do this thing where you push and push and push until you get a reaction, and then as soon as you do, you play that card, boom, see, I knew it, exclusive and judgmental. And you know what, that's not fair and it's not helpful. I can only speak for for Mountain and for a handful of other Christian communities that I know intimately, but I just want you to know, around here, if you would just dare to be yourself, your real self, be honest, without being defensive and without looking to pick a fight, you'll be pleasantly surprised at how loved and accepted and listened to you will be. Try us. Lay down your weapons. Let's get some coffee. Maybe you've believed the illusion of grace without truth. You know, without truth, there's not even a need for the concept of grace. Neither do I condemn you without the go and sin no more is just weak sentimentality or veiled self-centeredness or something else, but it is not the strong grace of God described in Scripture and embodied by Jesus. There's a lot of talk these days about tolerance, uh, which is an important virtue but, virtue, but it is a misused word these days. It's not the same thing as relativism, where nobody's allowed to make a truth claim unless we all agree, which never happens. What tolerance actually is, is when different people believe some different things, and we tolerate each other with love and respect and dialogue, even though we believe differently. Let's all just remind ourselves today that respectfully disagreeing with one another is not the same thing as passing judgment on one another, necessarily. Jesus, who said, I am the truth and the way and the life, also said that he came not for the healthy but for the sick. If any local church ever becomes more like, more like a country club or more like a corporation than it is like a hospital, then we are doing it wrong. Churches are supposed to be places of healing and restoration. If, if you are sick or hurt, you go to a doctor. You don't want your doctor to be like, listen, you know, you do you. I'm going to do me. I, I wouldn't want to tell you what to do here. You know, you want them to help you get well. Well, the church and Christians 
your Christian friends, they care more about your sins than others do in the same way that doctors and nurses care more about your health problems than others do. They just want you to be well. They want you to be whole and have the best kind of life. And I urge you to keep that motive in mind in your interactions with Christians and to be open to the possibility that this thing called sin is real and that it is like spiritual cancer keeping us from the best kind of life. Maybe you've believed the illusion that the church is about religion more than about relationships, and it's not. If you, if you think that the church is primarily about social control or money or tradition or conformity or whatever, I would encourage you to read the Gospels and to see through that illusion. Jesus, Jesus did not come primarily to start some organization. He came primarily to show us the way back to right relationships with God and with each other. And the organization, the, this thing called the church, which resulted from that, It's found in so many different cultures and so many creative expressions, and it is far more diverse and beautiful than I bet you have any idea of. And I hope you'll look into that. Maybe you believe the illusion that church isn't worth it because it's full of hypocrites. You hear this one a lot. And this part is true. The church is full of hypocrites. Okay? Everybody, listen, everybody is a hypocrite. We all wear masks at times. We all do things we wish we didn't do. In, in every life, I don't care what you do or don't claim to believe, there is some level of dissonant, dissonance between who I am and who I should be or who I desire to be. If even the Apostle Paul could say in Romans 7, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing then it is okay for you and I to admit the same thing. If, if we were to clear the churches of all the hypocrites, you know who'd be left? Jesus, sitting there by himself. I know so many people who say, I, I don't go to church because it's just full of hypocrites. But in my humble opinion, the biggest hypocrites in the world are the people who go around complaining about all the hypocrites. So just please hear me saying that we Christ followers are aware of this issue. Okay? We're all in process. We're unfinished. We are becoming more mature and more integrated day by day. Just please be careful not to make the huge mistake of throwing out the baby Jesus with the bathwater of our inconsistencies. Maybe you believe this illusion that it's okay to evaluate Christ based on the Christians that you know. You know, if you had, imagine this, you get assigned to write a paper or an article about President Obama, okay? And you get contacted by his staff and they say, you're going to get a chance to sit down with him, one-on-one interviews, uh, and just really get to know him. And you say, that's cool, I'm just going to exchange some some emails with a couple of his interns and that'll be the same difference, that'll be fine. You wouldn't do that. So anyone who makes decisions about Christ about his followers, about his church, needs to look first and foremost at him, at Jesus. I want to warn you against the error of basing your beliefs and opinions on Christ solely or even primarily on the words and actions of a few of his followers. Now, Christians, we are not off the hook. It's true that you or I might be the only Jesus someone ever knows, the only Bible they ever read, so to speak. We are responsible for being co-laborers with Christ, representing Him as His ambassadors. 
But non-church people, if you are only basing your decisions on the actions of imperfect Christians without ever looking at the man himself, Jesus, his words, his actions, his claims, then you might be doing it wrong. The job of the Christian is quite simply to just point to Jesus all the time. Ultimately, we believe that each human is going to be held accountable for what you do with him, who you say that he is. All right, enough of the, enough of the illusions. Let's talk about some truths. I got three of them for you today with what time we have left. One is Jesus is radically inclusive. However, some of us may have misrepresented him over the years. It is clear if you look at Jesus, he wants to include everybody. If you look all the way back to the birthday of the church in, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And I hope you'll go back and read the whole thing. I can't do that right now for the sake of time. But basically what happens is God sends his Holy Spirit down in the form of tongues of fire. And this is what we read in verse 9. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Well, here's part of what this meant. And means God, having raised Christ from the dead, decided it was time for his church to be born. So he looked down on this diverse gathering. Steelers fans, Ravens fans, Patriots fans. People with different skin colors. People drive too slow. People drive too fast. People with good personal hygiene and not so much. Rule followers and rebels. People confused about their identity. Young and old. Introverts, extroverts, CrossFit people and obese people and women and men and well-parented and poorly parented and Republicans and Democrats and those apathetic toward politics, blue-collar, white-collar, no-collar, geniuses and the mentally ill, immigrants and aristocrats, artists and engineers. God said, everybody, all people, you're going to be my church. I'm, I'm drawing a big circle around all of you, and I'm inviting you to participate. You're all weird and goofed up in your own special ways, but you're mine, and I love you, and I want you to be in on this. The Christian God is radically inclusive, and for all her foibles throughout the years, the church of Jesus is the most inclusive thing that this world has ever seen. I love that the most common image we have of Jesus is arms open wide, dying for our sins, and welcoming us in. Jesus is very inclusive, and, and so we should be too. The second truth for today is this. Jesus is not judgmental, which is interesting, because Jesus, who lived the perfect, sinless, fully obedient life, is the only one who would actually have the right to be judgmental. And yet, we read in John 3:17, "For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him." In John 12:47, Jesus himself says, "If anyone hears my words, but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to the world. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world." I learned something new from that unshockable love book I was mentioning, something I never noticed before. 
Jesus, when he launched his public ministry, he stood up in the synagogue and he read from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah chapter 61. This is in Luke chapter 4. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now here's the interesting part. Jesus cut off the end of the Isaiah passage. He didn't finish Isaiah 61 verse 2. If he had, he would have read, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. But he very conspicuously left that part off. Why? Because that's coming at a later date. Because that is... Vengeance is the Father's business, not ours. Because we are to be about love and mercy and not vengeance and judgment. We, we can't handle that. Our role is to include and invite and to join Him in proclaiming good news and helping to set people free. So if Jesus was focused on mercy and content to leave judgment to the Father, then perhaps we should do the same. Third truth for today. Beautiful, Christ-centered, Acts 2-style community. It's real. It's real. At the end of Acts 2, after God looped all these different people in and called it his church, we read this beautiful description of those first Christians doing life together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'm going to end with a quick story Last year, about a year ago, I went backpacking. I like to go camping and backpacking, and I met up with some friends from Georgia and Tennessee. So we met up down in Virginia, and we went hiking on part of the Appalachian Trail in Grayson Highlands State Park. And what we didn't know going in was that one of the cool things about the area we were hiking in is there's all these wild ponies, and they're just beautiful. They're all kinds of colors and patterns, uh, hairdos, you know, they're just fascinating and, and beautiful. It's such a neat surprise. Well, I got home from that trip, and I was telling my family about it, and when I got to the part about the ponies, my daughter Elsa, who was four at the time, she stopped me cold. I said, there are these ponies there, and she said, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, there were these wild ponies, like I saw them, and I even like petted one, you're not really supposed to, but they like come right up to you, and it was, it was pretty cool, and her jaw just dropped, and she was like, she said, dad. Are you telling me right now that ponies are real? <laughs> Which is when I realized that for Elsa, up until that moment, ponies were like, like my little ponies, right? Like these cartoons. <laughs> they were fun, but they were just pretend. They belonged in this category with dragons and mermaids and fairies of things that were fun, but she would never be able to experience them in real life, to see one, to touch one. But I assured her that ponies are actually real. 
And then, hashtag father of the year, a few months later, I took her there. And she might still tell you that was the greatest day of her life. (laughs) I'm here to tell you today that this kind of community we just read about, it's also real. It's not just a nice thought. It's not just a relic of history. It's not just a beautiful idea. It is still happening, and it is happening here at Mountain Christian Church and at other places. This is a place where you can find that kind of deep fellowship. This is a place where we do our best to take off the masks and to just be real. I'm proud of the fact that overall we have a great reputation in our community as people who just show up and serve and speak the truth in love and don't exclude and condemn and judge. We are not perfect. But with Jesus as our leader, we are experiencing Acts 2 kind of community here. And God is adding daily to those who are being saved. And, and guess what? Everyone is invited. You are invited. Your friends, your family, your neighbors, no matter how messed up or angry at God or far from God, they're invited and included and drawn into the circle by our God and welcome here. A lot of people, when they come and outsiders come and work with us on different projects, they end up describing mountain, our DNA sort of like this, broken people helping broken people. And this church is full of people who will tell you from their personal experience how God through this community is putting them back together and has given them a home and a family. And I just want you to know you're invited to be a part of that, to join us on a journey of faith in a, in a community filled with grace and truth and to move past the illusions together. You are made for that and it is made for you. I hope this week every one of us will take a step forward as we seek to be a community full of people who, like our Lord, are full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for sending Jesus full of grace and truth. Thank you for telling us that you don't condemn us and also saying to us, now let's walk together into a future where we, where we leave behind our sins. Lord, help us to do that together and as individuals. We love you so much. Thank you for Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen.